You're listening to Biceps After Babies Radio, episode number 61. Hello, and welcome to Biceps After Babies Radio, a podcast for ladies who know that fitness is about so much more than pounds lost or PRs. It's about feeling confident in your skin and empowered in your life. I'm your host, Amber Brzezinski, a registered nurse, personal trainer, wife, and mom of four. Each week, my guests and I will excite and motivate you to take action in your own personal fitness as we talk about nutrition, exercise, mindset, personal development, and executing life with conscious intention. If your goal is to look, feel, and be strong and experience transformation from the inside out, you, my friend, are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, and this week is a continuation of last week. We are still talking about supplements. When I asked you guys what questions you had, there were lots of questions, and so I decided to break this episode up into two parts. So if you haven't yet listened to part one, episode number 60, I suggest you go back and listen to that one first. We talked about, well, first I gave some disclaimers. Um, when it comes to supplements. We talked about our supplements necessary. We talked about um, the hierarchy of nutrition. We talked about protein powders and different types of protein powders. And we talked about creatine. So that was last week. And this week we're going to bring up pre-workout. We're going to talk about BCAAs. We're going to talk about pregnancy and nursing because that was something that a lot of people were concerned with. So we are going to dive right into the content. No chit chat at the beginning so we can learn as much as possible about supplements. I do also want to remind you that I put together a freebie for this episode. So I have a supplement checklist where I talk about um, my recommendations and who should take what. And I put that together in just like a PDF checklist um, or check cheat sheet for you. So if you go to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash 61, you can go and snag that cheat sheet. And um, it has some things that I haven't even talked about on the podcast because they are visual. Um, so you can go and snag snag that freebie at bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash 61. So the first question that I'm going to answer comes from Sean and then also Sally. And Sean said, should I do a pre-workout drink? What benefits are there to them other than the caffeine kick? And Sally asked pros and cons of pre-workout. So pre-workout is, I kind of feel like the, if the gateway into uh, supplements is protein powder, meaning that's, it seems pretty mainstream. It's pretty accessible. I feel like after protein powder, the next step for most people is pre-workout. So what is pre-workout and why do people use it? Well, obviously, well, obviously by the name, pre-workout is something that you take prior to your workout. And one of the biggest parts of pre-workout or the biggest reason that people take it is for the caffeine boost. So caffeine is usually a major component in pre-workout and I mean, there's been lots and lots of research on caffeine and its effects and uh, how it can improve performance because it gives you extra energy and it gives you extra zip and it allows you to push harder. And so one of the benefits for a lot of people for pre-workout is when they take it and they get that caffeine boost, then they're able to do more reps. They're able to do more sets. They're able to push harder in their workout. And by pushing harder, doing more, you're able to build more muscle, get better, perform better, faster. 
And so again, it's, this is a, this is a case of like supplements have to supplement what you are already doing. You cannot just take pre-workout and it just doesn't work by itself. It works because it allows you, the individual to perform and work harder in your training session. Now, for a long time, I didn't really use pre-workout. I never used pre-workout when I was teaching classes, even when I was doing um, bodybuilding. I started using pre-workout a little bit when I was doing powerlifting and I was having a really heavy day or I knew there was a really intense day or I was going for a PR or I wanted something that was uh, like gave me that extra edge, that extra boost. Um, currently now in CrossFit, I do use pre-workout about three times a week. So I do early morning CrossFit. I get up at 5.30, class at six. And I do find that pre-workout does help me perform better. It helps me to push harder during those workouts. I limit it to like three times a week because there is a concern with caffeine, just like if you drink coffee or if you have caffeine in other forms, that there is uh, an adaptation that your body does, that you do develop a tolerance to caffeine and it stops working as effectively if if your body just built up a tolerance to it. And so caffeine does tend to work better if you can cycle it so that your body isn't always getting it. That way, when it does get it, it actually works and it gives you a boost. Now, caffeine isn't the only thing that is in pre-workout. Typically, two other big components that a lot of pre-workouts have are alanine and creatine. And creatine, I already talked about in last week's episode, and creatine's very, very well studied, improves performance, improves um, muscle building, improves strength. Uh, there's a lot of benefits of creatine. And I mentioned last week as well that if you have creatine in your in your pre-workout, that make sure that you are just taking the creatine in your pre-workout. And then on your off days, you can be supplementing with just straight creatine. Um, but the third component that is in a lot of uh, pre-workouts, so you have caffeine, you have creatine, and then you have beta alanine. Now, beta alanine is what is responsible for that tingly feeling. When if you've ever taken a pre-workout and you've like felt like you kind of, your like skin starts to tingle, um, or you have this like crawling sensation over your body, that is beta alanine. That's beta alanine working. And some people really don't like that feeling. Like it just kind of creeps them out and they, they just don't enjoy it. And if that's the case, then I would suggest either starting with a lower dose of your pre-workout, like starting with like a fourth scoop or a half scoop and seeing if you can find an amount that you can tolerate. Um, paying attention. This is where like reading your labels becomes really important. Paying attention to how much beta alanine is in your pre-workout can also allow you to choose a pre-workout. Now, the effective dose or the dose that has been researched to show the greatest effect is somewhere in between the 2.4 to 4.8 gram range. And so that's also something that you can pay attention to as you're dishing out your pre-workout. Make sure you're looking at the components of it. And something that a lot of companies will do is they will underdose components. So it may have beta alanine in it, but it will be underdosed. Um, it will have creatine in it, but it will be underdosed. Also, Pay attention to the amount of caffeine that is in your pre-workout. Some of these things, now there is like, you know, there's the research that shows us what's an effective range or what's like the best dosage, but some people respond differently to caffeine and some people need more and some people need less. And there is some individuality in that. And so what you can do is you can pay attention to what is in your pre-workout, how many grams of each of the components are there, and then 
how much do you need to take in order for it to be effective? And you can know by that there's a wide range. Like you can find pre-workouts with like 300 grams of protein or of, of caffeine and you can find pre-workouts with 80 grams of caffeine. And so knowing how you personally respond to caffeine and how you personally respond to beta alanine can help you make a choice about which pre-workout works the best. Because I get questions all the time about like, what's the best pre-workout to take? And I feel like pre-workout more than almost any other supplement is so individualized because you respond to caffeine differently. You respond to beta alanine differently. And knowing those ratios is way more important than just whether or not you like a pre-workout. So I really encourage you to test out some pre-workouts um, and you know try a couple, try some with different caffeine levels, try some maybe with different beta alanine beta alanine levels, especially if you really don't like the tingly sensation, and um, find out what works for you. But what does beta alanine do? Like, why do we put that in a pre-workout? Beta alanine helps to reduce muscle acidity. So when the muscles contract, they become acidic, lactic acid builds up, and it impairs further contraction. And so what beta alanine does is it actually increases something called carnosine, and that helps to bring down the muscle acidity. And it can really improve performance, specifically in that sub 60 second realm. Um, so again, like creatine, it is something for um, quick, fast, short movements. We're not talking about long distance running or um, you know endurance training. This is something, again, for when you're doing short, quick bursts, like weight training. Um, right? As that lactic acid builds up in your muscle, it impairs contraction. It's one of the reasons that you get fatigued as you continue on with your reps. And so if we can reduce that, we can reduce the fatigue, then you're able again to crank out some more reps, which gets you stronger, um, faster. So this is why you will see beta alanine in a lot of pre-workouts. It's not just because it gives you the tingly feeling. Um, the tingly feeling tells you that it's working, but that that is the benefit of, of adding beta alanine to your pre-workout. Now, I feel like pre-workout, almost more than any other supplement... I talked about last week the idea of a proprietary blend where companies don't actually disclose what is in their proprietary blend. And... I feel like pre-workout, this happens a lot. Like they have some sort of concoction that they've worked out that is like their pre-workout concoction and they don't actually disclose how many milligrams there are of each of the components. And this is, you know, face value so that people don't copy their blend. But the problem is, is that you as a consumer have no idea how many milligrams of beta alanine are in there. Is it underdosed? Like I said, a lot of companies will do that to save money is they'll underdose these things so they can say that, yeah, there is beta alanine in it, but it's underdosed dose for what ideal performance would be. And so I really try to stay away from products that I don't know what is in them. And I want to know exactly what is in my pre-workout. I like to have a simple pre-workout. I like to have one that has like the ingredients that I just listed, creatine, beta alanine, caffeine, and not a whole lot of other crap. Um, those are the things that I want. So um, I'm not going to recommend a specific pre-workout because again, it really depends on you and how you respond to it. But I do encourage you if it's something that you haven't tried yet, and again, you have your training and you have your nutrition on point, um, it can be something that can be ben beneficial. And especially for people who wake up early in the morning, pre-workout can be a way to like kickstart your workout. Now, some people just prefer to use coffee. 
I just want to drink coffee in the morning and that works for them as a pre-workout. And obviously it doesn't have beta alanine or creatine, but you can even buy beta alanine and creatine separate and supplement with those separately. So there's a lot of you know ways to do it. And pre-workout is definitely not something that you have to include in your workout, but I it's something to, to mess around with and see if you like it, if you like the way that it makes you feel and you like the way that it makes you perform. And you can kind of decide if it's something that you want to include. Now, Casey asked a question. She said pros and cons of using pre-workout, a pre-workout supplement before running. I've never used it before, but I wonder if it may help or hurt me during my marathon training. Now, again, um, as I was talking through this, I, I mentioned that like beta alanine, creatine works better for short, quick bursts of energy rather than endurance training. So the other aspects of pre-workout may not be very beneficial for you. However, um, caffeine can help reduce perceived exertion. So you can use caffeine as a runner to be able to make your eight minute mile feel like a nine minute mile, right? So that can be something. And this is something that I would encourage you that you test out. Some of this just comes down to experimenting with you and your body and how you feel on your runs and how you feel at the gym. But I think it's awesome to just do some experimenting. Like try taking some caffeine prior to your run and see if you like how it makes you feel. See if you like how it makes the run feel. Um, See if you crash or see if you like, you know, have extra energy and just kind of see how your body responds to it. Some people as long distance runners prefer to take their caffeine up front. Um, Other people tend to want to do it like throughout their run, almost like you're like when you're sucking on gels and things throughout your run, like they can have some with caffeine so that they're getting like little doses of caffeine throughout the run. Again, try it out, touch it out, experiment and see what's going to work for you and your body and your training. Now there's a quick question from Ellie. She said, should I be taking a daily multivitamin? And if so, which one is best? So I am of the opinion that the more nutrients and and vitamins and things that we can get from our food, the better. And I think most people would agree with that, right? Like get your, get your vitamins and stuff from food. Focus on eating mostly whole foods, um, mostly nutrient dense foods, include some fun foods in there. That's why we count macros because there is that balance. We can have fun, but we can also fuel our body and there is a moderation aspect to it. So I am of the opinion that we should get the most of our nutrients from our food. However, some people want to take a multivitamin almost as like a backup, right? Like, let's just make sure that I'm getting enough vitamins and minerals and I can just buy this multivitamin and I can just take it. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you are paying attention to um, the dosages. And for some things, it doesn't matter. Like if you overdose, like you get a ton of vitamin C, for example, your body is just going to pee it out. That's like your body just takes care of it. So the water-soluble vitamins, your body just pees it out if you take too much. No big deal. Which is why you'll see like crazy numbers on some multivitamins for like how much vitamin C is in there. It's like 300% of like the daily value because if it's too much, no big deal. Your body just pees it out. 
However, for the fat-soluble vitamins, so vitamin A, D, E, and K, your body can't just pee it out if you if you take too much of it. So you have to be just a little bit carefuler with the dosage um, and how much you're taking. Uh, and most multivitamins are fine in of themselves, but when you combine them with maybe eating a lot of um, you know high vitamin K foods, there can be um, a propensity to be able to have too much of those. So for for that reason, like just pay attention to what you're what you're consuming. Um, but I think for a lot of people, they take these really expensive vitamins and then they pee out a lot of it and it just becomes really expensive pee. Now, if you really want to take a multivitamin, then I would suggest going to somewhere like Labdor and just looking at the... Um, third-party research that's shown. Because again, with multivitamins, you don't know exactly what you're getting. You don't know exactly how much the dosage is. And so Labdor's done a lot of that work for you of researching the different multivitamins. What are the ratios? Are they underdosing, overdosing? And that should give you a good idea of what might be a good multivitamin to take. All right. Next question. Kay said, what can someone help to take with muscle aches and pains from working out? So um, this is called DOMS, in case you haven't ever heard that term, delayed onset muscle soreness. And this is when you go work out and then later that day or the next day, like you can't sit on the toilet because your legs hurt so much. Or you can't raise your arms overhead because you have so much soreness. Um, this is called DOMS and it's it's totally normal. Um, one thing I do want to point out is that DOMS isn't necessarily good or bad. So some people think like if they don't get sore that they didn't actually work the body, which is not as a hundred percent not true, um, and some people like are like, oh yeah, if I am sore, then that really means that like I did a good workout, and that's not really true either. DOMS tends to come on when you introduce something new, a new activity, a new way of using a muscle group, um, a new lift, and so if you are constantly changing, you are going to be more sore because your body has it. It's new. Your body hasn't built up that tolerance to it. So, for example. As I'm doing CrossFit, I get way more sore than I ever, ever did powerlifting. Because with powerlifting, I was doing the same thing. I was squatting, I was benching, I was deadlifting, and I was pressing like and doing some pull-ups. Like Every single week, I was doing the same thing. I didn't get sore hardly ever doing powerlifting. Now, with CrossFit, there's so much variety and there's so much change and there's so much variation that I do get a lot more sore. But it doesn't mean that po- that power working, powerlifting works less Better, less well uh, compared to CrossFit or that CrossFit works better. It just means that I am switching up what I'm doing a lot more. Um, and there's some pluses and minuses to that. So one way that you can reduce DOMS is that you can introduce new activities or new lifts or new programs slowly um, and slowly increase the intensity. And that can help with just preventing DOMS. But if you already have DOMS, things that you can do to help it and help you feel better, um, you know, doing some like gentle stretching, just like stretch out the muscle group, um, foam rolling, or just massaging the muscle um, can help to like work it out to help to kind of relax and loosen some of those muscles that are feeling you know really painful. Um, using things like Tiger Balm, so like a, a muscle rub. Um, a lot of people swear by that. Uh, they have menthol in them and it can give you some like temporary pain relief of the area. So if you really struggle with muscle soreness, get some of that and see if rubbing that on helps. You can also use, you know, really cheap things like ice and heat. So 
what ice is going to do is going to reduce the blood flow to the area, which reduces inflammation. Um, but then you also can use heat, right? So the opposite, which actually can increase the blood flow to the this area to help to bring in that, that tissue repairing um, faster. So you can kind of cycle between the two, right? Cycle between the heat and the ice um, and use those two extremes very cheap solution to be able to help with um, your soreness. And then t- taking something like an NSAID, um, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, something like Advil or Aleve can be a way that you can um, help to feel better if you are really feeling sore. One thing I will suggest is if you're feeling sore, one of the best things that you can go do is to work out. Um, a lot of times people feel sore and then they don't want to work out, but actually moving that joint and moving that muscle group will help to increase blood flow to it, will help to like loosen it out and, and work it out. So if you are feeling sore, I still encourage you to go to the gym and just get some movement in, right? Like get on a bike, do get on the treadmill, do some lightweight squats or whatever is sore, work through it. And that actually does tend to help with muscle soreness. And then the last thing that you can do is you can try out BCAAs. So BCAAs, it's funny, my mom calls them BACAs. <laughs> They're not BACAs. We, we call them BCAAs, which stands for branch chain amino acids. And this is another supplement that you can take. And there has been some research that's shown that BCAAs can be helpful in, um, preventing and reducing the feeling of soreness. Now, this is something that um, there is some conflicting evidence on. So this is something I would try out, right? Like, let's do some experimenting. Let's try out and see if you do find um, that soreness is decreased by taking BCAs. But that's, that's another thing that you can try if you do find that you're sore a lot of the time. So let's talk a little bit about BCAAs. Rachel asked, BCAAs, what, where, when, why? <laughs> So let's let's talk about what BCAs are because I feel like there's a lot of confusion and I feel like especially there's a lot of confusion between BCAAs and pre-workout. Like people are like, do I need to take a both? They kind of think they're like the same thing and they and they really aren't. They're completely different. So in our protein, I talked about this last episode, um, protein is made up of amino acids and amino acids structurally, uh, if you remember back to high school and college chemistry, they can be straight or they can be bent or they can have, you know, change or branches off to the side. And so the branch chain amino acids are named as such because they have changed that branch off to the side. So it's like structurally looking at them, they look like branch chained amino acids. And Every amino acid, so there's the 20 amino acids, nine essential amino acids, every single one of them has various properties based on its shape, which is why I say when you say you're eating protein, like you, you do need to take it like one step further because not all protein has all the amino acids, not all of them are um, available to be broken down in our, with our, in our body. But every amino acid has various properties. And because these three amino acids have this branch chain, it alters the way that they are digested and absorbed and used by the body. And that's why they have some special properties that we really like as we are trying to lift weights and grow muscle. So the three branch chain amino acids are leucine, valine, and isoleucine. Now, it's really important to understand that these three branch chain amino acids do not promote muscle growth. Okay, So they are not anabolic. Um, they do not promote muscle growth. What they are 
is anti-catabolic. So their biggest benefit is that they are a muscle preserver. They maintain the muscle mass. They they prevent the muscle from being broken down. Um, and specifically, the amino acid leucine suppresses that that must that muscle breakdown. So. BCAAs are are like to be touted um, as something really beneficial. These are the three amino acids that like weightlifters want. Here, why don't we supplement with them? But it's really important to understand that um, the research is not super great on using BCAs in their supplement form being superior to just eating protein. Because if you think about it, these three amino acids, leucine, isoleucine, and valine, are in the protein that you're eating, right? Like if you eat chicken, it's going to have those branch chain amino acids. So when you compare somebody who is getting an adequate protein intake in their diet with somebody who is supplementing with BCAAs, there isn't a big difference. A lot of the research studies that show that there is a big difference are comparing people who are supplementing BCAAs with people who aren't eating adequate amounts of protein. So that's something that's really important to to understand. Um, BCAAs have not been shown to increase weight loss, um, and they just may not be necessary for a lot of people. It's definitely not just a supplement that like everybody needs to be taking. If you are eating a high protein, adequate amount of protein diet, and you're getting a wide variety of food, you're probably taken care of when it comes to branched chain amino acids. Now, leucine is one of the most important amino acids when it does come to building muscle. And if you are vegan or vegetarian, you may want to pay attention to your leucine intake. You may want to supplement with leucine specifically because it can be harder to get leucine if you're not eating animal products. Um, but in, for the most part, if you have a healthy, like balanced diet and you're getting enough protein, there's not a whole lot of benefits with supplementing with extra BCAAs. However, there is one time um, and one certain person who BCAs may be very helpful to, and that is if you train fasted. So training fasted means like you wake up in the morning and you don't eat ahead of time and you just go work out. That, uh, That person may benefit from BCAs because remember the branched chain amino acids, one of the things that they do is they prevent muscle breakdown. And if you haven't eaten for eight, you know, 10, 12 hours prior, you aren't going to have access to amino acids in your bloodstream, right? Your body has already digested and, um, process those amino acids and use them all up. And now you're requiring your body to go and exert energy and to use fuel. And one of the things we really want to prevent is using muscle mass for fuel, like breaking down the muscle mass. Um, And so one thing that supplementing, one time that supplementing with BCAs can be valuable is if you are training fasted because taking those BCAAs ahead of time allows your body access to those amino acids without having to break down your muscle tissue. That's the idea of supplementing with BCAAs training fasted. So that's really the only time that I like recommend somebody use BCAAs is if you're training fasted, take the BCAAs, sip on them before and during your workout, and that should help with maintaining some of that muscle mass. But if you are training fed, and you've eaten, you know, within the last couple of hours, you have, and you've eaten some protein, right? Like you already have those branched chain amino acids. So supplementing with extra doesn't necessarily do too much for you. Now, some people do just like the flavor of BCAs and they just like to like sip on them. Um, I know some people, especially like 
because they taste kind of sweet. It can be something that you can sip on as you're making dinner or later in the afternoon when you kind of feel hungry or um, peckish or you want something sweet. So that can be something that we can, you know, drink BCAs. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing harmful. You're not going to hurt yourself. But just understand that if you're trying to like prioritize where you spend your money um, and you are already having a high protein diet and you are already eating around your workouts and you're eating some protein during that time, you're probably taken care of. And the only time I really would recommend it if you are training fasted. Now, if you're like, that's okay, I just like them, I want to take them when, in, you know, and I and I train, I don't train fasted. When should I take them? So, if you train fasted, take them before and during your workout. If you don't train fasted, then I suggest sipping on them during and or after your workout. So, the timing of it um, kind of depends a little bit on um, if whether you're training fasted or fed. Okay, let's do the last big question, the big elephant in the room for some of you. Um, and that is, you know, how do we deal with this with pregnancy and breastfeeding? So Sarah said, what's okay, what to avoid when breastfeeding? And Monica asked, what supplements are frowned upon while pregnant and nursing? Now, we have to just start with a big, huge disclaimer that I am not a physician and I am more importantly, not your physician. And so everything, when you have questions about anything when it comes to pregnancy and nursing, you should be discussing this with your physician. Now, that being said, they don't teach this stuff in medical school. Like this is not something that they have a lecture on of like supplements in pregnancy. And unfortunately, pregnant women and nursing women are a really hard group to do research on because there are a lot of confounding factors and there is a lot of like safety issues. And so if you want to do a research project and you go and submit to the IRB, the, the Institutional Review Board, and you say, hey, I want to do XYZ um, research on pregnant women or XYZ research on nursing women, it's going to be very, very hard to get that approved because they are a special population and a special group with a lot of special considerations. And so there just isn't a lot of research on pregnancy and nursing and specifically on supplements. There isn't a lot of research in a lot of areas, but specifically on supplements because the outcome is just like not that important, right? When we're weighing like health of the baby with what's your PR, like that's a, that's like not worth it, right? And so I will just say that there are not a lot of research studies on this and there's not a lot of doctors that are uh, up on it and that that even would say like, well, why do you want to even take creatine during your pregnancy? Like, why, why do you care? Um, and so that's something that you may run into. So I want to be able to share with you my personal opinion and what I would do during my pregnancy and during my nursing period. Now, what you do needs to be based on what you decide with your physician or your provider. But I do think it there's value in like you hearing from what my experience has been and what I would personally do. And then you can take that with a grain of salt and you can decide what is going to be best for you. So let's kind of start at the top of the list and work down. Um, protein powder. Is it safe during pregnancy? Is it not? Again, when I talk about this, I like there's not a whole lot of research on it. There's not a whole lot of research studies that are like 100% yes, this is safe, 100% no, this is not. And so you need to kind of make a decision on where you want to fall and what your doctor says. Um, 
my physician was fine with protein powder. Um, and I have no problem with taking protein powder and supplementing with protein powder during pregnancy. Again, the purpose of protein powder is just as an easy accessible source of protein. And so I personally felt like that was safe and I had no problems taking protein powder while I was nursing um, and or pregnant. Now, BCAAs are another story. There has been some research that has shown that BCAAs can contribute to infant growth restriction, fetal growth restriction, um, and having babies not grow as, as big or as fast as they should. The research is not 100% clear. And it's, it's, you know, there's been some research studies that have shown it. There's been some that haven't. But in my opinion, if there's any evidence that it may injure the baby or that it may, it's just not worth it. So for me, I recommend not taking BCAs during pregnancy. Now, when nursing, personally, I think that's a little bit of a different story. Um, there hasn't been the research that's shown that it is harmful. But what I do like to do is to stagger it so that I am taking my BCAs right after I nurse. So I nurse, then take my BCAs, and then that allows me to have the longest window possible for my body to process the BCAs, get them um, you know, integrated and out of my bloodstream before that next nursing session comes in. So that's personally what I do is um, I would stagger my, my BCA consumption um, so that you know, you have your, let your body process it before you have that next nursing session. Now, of course, this differentiates too between like, if you have a two week old and they're nursing every like hour and a half, that's very, very different from a eight month old who's nursing like, you know, three times a day. So you got to kind of play that by ear and decide um, what you want to do. But that's personally how I would manage BCAs. I would not take them during pregnancy. Um, and if I was going to take them during nursing, I would just stagger it and um, time it with my nursing schedule. Pre-workout. Pre-workout, I personally um, would not take either nursing or um, when I was pregnant. Um, I just, the, the amounts of caffeine that you're consuming, that is something that is going to impact the baby. And I personally just, it's not worth the risk. Like taking pre-workout is just not worth the risk. Now, if you're someone who you have an eight month old and you're just nursing a couple times a day and you want to nurse your baby and then take your pre-workout and then go work out, um, you know, that's, that's a choice that you can make. I, I think that that's a very different situation than again, having like a two week old. Um, but personally, uh, for me, if I was nursing very consistently, that would not be something that I would include because we do know that caffeine gets passed on to the baby. Um, and beta alanine, like it's just, there's things in there that I just, I just wouldn't deal with. And then creatine would be the last one. And creatine for me is just one of those gray zones. It's just like, I just probably wouldn't do it. It's the, the benefit, the payoff is just not, not big enough for me to, to worry about the what ifs. Um, and so I would just skip creatine um, probably when I was nursing and when I was pregnant and, um, you know, just come back to that when you're not. And especially since you're probably not going super hard with your weight training during your pregnancy and even during some of that postpartum period. So I, I personally would just skip it just when you're done nursing, then we can add that creatine back in. 
Last question is from Treva and she says, what's worth spending money on? So if we're going to go down the list of things that we talked about, um, protein powder, I think for most people is a definite worth spending money on and finding a protein powder that you like and enjoy can make hitting your protein much easier. It is not required, it is not essential. Um, it is just a simple and convenient way to be able to get that protein into your diet. But for most people, protein powder is something that is very worth spending money on. Creatine, absolutely. Again, if you have your training in place and you already have your nutrition in place and you have a goal to be able to improve performance, um, PR, increase the weights you're lifting, get stronger, build muscle, then creatine is a no-brainer. That's absolutely something that you should add. It is not very expensive. Um, it is something that um, definitely research very, very clearly shows that it makes a difference. So that is a supplement worth adding. If you're not looking to build muscle, you're not looking to get stronger, um, no need to add it. It's not going to do. It's not going to do much for you. So, um, but if you are that person who you're like, I already have my training in place, I already have my nutrition in place. I want to grow muscle. I want to get stronger. Creatine is a no-brainer ad. BCAAs, like I said, I would recommend them if you are training fasted. Um, if you are not training fasted, I would save your money and I would spend more money on chicken or protein powder or other sources of protein that have and contain BCAAs. By the way, I didn't mention this, but protein powder like contains BCAAs. So if you are doing your workout and then drinking a protein shake and drinking BCAAs afterwards, you're essentially like double dosing on it. The protein powder has the branched chain amino acids in it. Um, and so if you are getting enough protein around your in your diet and around your workouts, you are taken care of when it comes to BCAAs and you don't necessarily need to supplement with them. So the only time that I do recommend is if you are training fasted, then it might be worth spending some money on. Or if you're someone who you're like, I get really sore and I find that BCAAs help, well then awesome. It may be worth spending money on for you as well. Pre-workout. This is one, if you like it and you enjoy it, then it's worth spending money on. Um, one of the biggest benefits from pre-workout is just like the feeling that you get from it. If you enjoy that feeling, if you feel like you can push harder, if you enjoy that you can like hit your workouts harder with pre-workout, um, then it's definitely worth the money. If you don't like the feeling, it's, it doesn't really make that big of a difference whether you take it or whether you don't, then pre-workout might be a place that you can save your money and you can just supplement with creatine on its on its own and you don't necessarily need to have the, the beta alanine and the caffeine that is contained in, in most pre workouts. Now there's a whole list of other supplements that we didn't talk about. And I'll just briefly mention some of them here because I get lots of questions about it. Um, things like fish oil. Are, is fish oil something that you should take? Fish oil is one of these things that for a long time, it was like really big in the media. There were some research studies that came out um, that linked uh, eating fish with lower risk of heart, heart disease and stroke. And when that came out, people were like, oh, awesome. Like, let's just take this fish oil supplement. And with further research and more long-term research, what we've come to find out is that there's something that happens between the fish dying and putting it into a pill form that doesn't produce the same effect that eating that fish 
does. And this is a classic example of like noticing that something, some sort of effect is taking place. People who eat fish have a lower heart rate or heart disease, risk of heart disease and stroke. And then just assuming that if we can take that and put it in pill form, that it's going to do the exact same thing. And it doesn't. And so there's been a lot of research within the last couple of, of years that have come out and said, you know what, like the supplementing with fish oil doesn't necessarily seem to work like we thought it would. Um, and so if you want the benefits of fish oil, you really should be just looking to consume fish and those getting specifically those omega-3 fatty acids within your diet in the food that you eat rather than supplementing with fish oil. Another one is vitamin D. Um, we've been hearing a lot about vitamin D. This is one of the vitamins that's really important for bone growth um, and bone health. And we get it majorly from the sun. And the sun uh, shines down on us and then our skin is able to synthesize vitamin D from that. We also do get some from our diet and there's a lot of supplementing that goes on into things like milk in order to increase the amount of vitamin D that we are um, that we are using. Now, supplementing with vitamin D has kind of been coming into vogue and there the problem with it is that we don't have a really good understanding of how much vitamin D is really ideal. And so we have people who um, believe that the dosage that you should have a vitamin D is like double or triple what the, what the current recommendations are. Uh, and we just don't have a lot of research to show like how many units of vitamin D do you really need that is really going to support your overall health? So there's just a lack of this consensus in the medical and scientific community of how to define vitamin D deficiency. So this is kind of one of those gray areas um, of like whether or not supplementing with vitamin D is valuable. The jury is kind of still out on it. Um, some doctors are really pro supplementing with vitamin D. Others aren't. Um, and it kind of is one of those that you'll have to make a decision on with your medical practitioner. Probiotics. So what are probiotics? Those, they are um, live microorganisms that are intended to have health benefits like helping us digest our food, um, destroy disease causing microorganisms, produce vitamins, and they can be found naturally in our foods like yogurt. Um, and they can also help prevent diarrhea that's caused by like taking uh, antibiotics. Some people will get diarrhea from that because those antibiotics actually kill off your, some of your natural gut flora. So probiotics can help with that. And so probiotics have shown some promise in research studies, but what we're missing is really strong scientific evidence to support specific uses of probiotic for generally healthy people. And so um, it's not something that like I necessarily recommend for everybody. Some people do find benefits by taking it and that's awesome and that's great, but it's not one of these things that we just can blanket recommend for everybody that like generally healthy people necessarily need to take. Um, you can get probiotics from your food. And so that's a really good way to um, increase the amount of probiotics, again, that you're getting from food. And, and again, just like the fish oil, there isn't an understanding of like when we take probiotics from food and we like put it into a pill form, if it works as effectively as it does when it's in the food. Um, so just kind of take that and understand when you're taking probiotics that you may benefit more from just getting it from food sources. And then, th so those supplements that I just mentioned are kind of like in the gray zone. Like 
there's not a ton of evidence to say like everybody should be taking it. There's not a ton of evidence to say that they shouldn't. There's some supporting it, some not. And so they're kind of in this, this gray zone where we're still researching. We're still trying to figure out. Now there are some supplements that just really aren't worth your money. Um, and the first one would be glutamine. Glutamine is one of the non-essential amino acids, meaning your body can produce glutamine. And it is the most abundant amino acid that's in your body. And we use it to synthesize proteins. Now, the reason that glutamine has come into vogue is because there was some studies that were done on burn victims and um, people with large wounds. And they found that when they gave them glutamine, that, that these people were able to like rebuild muscle faster. And so people kind of extrapolated from these research studies about glutamine with people with traumatic events, extrapolated that the same thing could be applied to a healthy person, right? If you have give glutamine to a healthy person who's trying to build muscle, then it would help them build it faster. And it it just hasn't panned out. There are no studies confirming that it works in healthy individuals. All the studies are in people with disease or trauma. Um, And so yes, if you have had disease or trauma, adding glutamine can enhance that muscle building. Um, But what we've also found with further research is that when you take extra glutamine, that it first goes to the gut even before it like gets to the muscles. So a lot of people are supplementing with glutamine and it's just going to their gut and it's not actually even making its way to the muscles. Okay. So the only way to really get a large bolus of glutamine to your muscles is to have your muscles be in a state of trauma, right? Like which is the case for a burn victim or um, somebody with a big wound. And uh, then that glutamine does tend to get to their muscles and help with that regrowth. For a healthy individual, it just, it just doesn't make it even to your muscles. Another one that is just not worth your money is glucosamine. And glucosamine is um, helps to build cartilage. We cannot eat this in food. Um, so when they create it in a supplement form, it actually comes from shellfish. And the idea is that as we age, our cartilage becomes less flex- flexible and, and breaks down. And so the idea was that glutamine would slow down this process. And um, people take it for joint pain. They would take it, take it to recover better from the workouts, you know, treating uh, osteoarthritis. Um, but the largest controlled clinical, clinical trial found that there is no benefit to glucosamine when compared to a placebo. And so it may help relieve some of the symptoms of osteoarthritis, but there's also been research that's shown it helps no more than just taking Tylenol does. Um, so, you know, when you compare it to Tylenol, like you might as well just take the Tylenol. Um, but it has been shown no more effective than placebos in slowing the loss of cartilage. Um, so it just, there's just not a lot of research supporting that it actually, actually works. And then the last one I would say to save your money on is CLA or conjugated linoleic acid, um, which is a fatty acid that's found naturally occurring in meat and full dairy. And people started taking it because there was some initial research um, that showed it helping rats to be able to shed body fat. And so then this was, again, we extrapolated, okay, giving CLA to rats helps them to lose body fat. So let's give it to humans and see if it does the same thing. And it, and it just doesn't have the same effect in humans. Um, and it even can adversely affect your glucose metabolism, inflammation, insulin sensitivity, blood lipids. Like it's just something that it hasn't been able to be transferred over to however it works in the rats into humans. And so um, for that, rec- that reason, I 
just recommend. It's, it's just not worth it. Another one I just thought of is fat burners in general. For a generally healthy per- person who is in general population who is just looking to like lose some fat, fat burners are just unnecessary. Um, and they go into that realm of like what you do to lose the weight has to be what you're willing to do to maintain the weight in the long run. And so fat burners may have a place, may, may have a place if you are doing something like a fitness competition where you're trying to get really, really, really lean and like strip off as much body fat as possible. But again, almost everything that you do in that process of trying to get stage lean is not sustainable and is not maybe even super healthy. And so for the general population, uh, just skip fat burners. Again, save your money, spend the money that you would spend on fat burners and go get yourself a good protein powder or go buy yourself um, some really nice chicken or you know, go some, spend some money on some seafood, right? So take that money and use it in something that actually will benefit you or spend it on a gym membership or whatever. There's a lot better ways to spend your money and be able to get more results than by spending your money on something like a fat burner. And then the last one, things just keep popping in my head. The last one is greens. So greens come from, again, this idea that like when we eat vegetables, when we eat green leafy things, it's good for our body. It provides us fiber. It has nutrients and things. And so then people get this idea. They're like, well, then let's like dehydrate it and grind it up and put it in a powder that people can like take mega loads of. And again, in my opinion, this runs that, it runs that that straddle that we're trying to do between what we see actually work and what is supported by research and trying to figure out how we can put that into supplement form and making that leap just doesn't always work as well. And so I don't necessarily think there's a lot of harm in taking green supplements, but you will do better to just focus on including greens into your daily diet and being able to take them in whole food form. Just like we talked about with fish oil being transferred into a supplement and it not working as good and CLA working on mice, but then we transferred it to humans and it just didn't work as well. Um, I think that there's probably some of the same stuff going on. Whereas when you eat the spinach and you eat the kale and you eat the green things, it benefits your body. And when we try to put that into a supplement form, it just doesn't tend to work as well for whatever reason, for however the body metabolizes is that you're not getting as many benefits as you are when you are actually eating those foods. All right. Phew. We made it. Um, We made it. And I hope that that was helpful. I hope that you learned some things. I hope that you have a little bit less fear and trepidation about trying to figure out what you should do when it comes to supplements. Again, I really encourage you to go to bicesunderbabies.com forward slash 60, which is where the show, 60 and 61 actually, um, which is where the show notes for last week and this week are housed. And on there, we will have a link to that free supplement cheat sheet download. Um, And you can just go and download that. It will have more information, more recommendations for, um, you know, who I recommend take what different supplements. And you can get that at bicepsetterbabies.com forward slash 60 or 61. It'll be on both the show notes from last week and from this week. Also, will you do me a favor? Did you enjoy this episode? Did you find it educational? Did you find it um, informational and something that you can apply? If you did, will you please share it? And will you please let me know? Let me know what you liked. Let me know what was an aha moment for you. Let me know what you're going to take now when it comes to your supplements now that you have this information. That kind of stuff is so awesome for me to know because 
when you can take the knowledge and stuff that you're learning here on the podcast and actually apply it to your fitness journey, that's when it gets really exciting. And that's when changes happen. And that's when it really is like, yes, what you're learning here is making a difference. And that's exactly what I want. That wraps up this episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm Amber. Now go out and be strong because remember my friend, you can do anything. Hold up, sister friend. Do you love Biceps After Babies Radio? If so, the best way to say thank you is to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. I know every podcaster wants you to leave a review, but it's because those reviews help the podcast to reach more people. And I do truly want to know what you think. If this particular episode resonated with you, will you also please share it? Either send the link to someone who would find it valuable or take a screenshot and post it to your social media and tell your friends and family why they should listen. Make sure you tag me at biceps.after.babies so I can hear your feedback and give you a little love. And you know, if you aren't already following me on Instagram or Facebook, that's the perfect time to hit that follow button. Thank you for being here and listening to Biceps After Babies Radio.